You're listening to the Everett Foursquare Lowell Podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and enjoy the message. So, we're going to get into the Word of God. If you've got your Bible, your Bible apps, uh, if you're online using the Bible tool on our online streaming uh, platform, open with me to Matthew chapter 6. Today we are concluding the series called There Is Always Hope. We've spent the last eight weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer, which is recorded in Matthew and Luke's Gospel. Um, And today we're going to kind of wrap it up. And this is a message, um, boy, for just what we were talking about. uh, This is a conversation for those of you who are feeling hopeless. This is also a conversation that is a celebration of victory. We're talking about Jesus who shines the light into your darkest hours. And it illuminates the times in our life everywhere in between, from the mountaintop highs to the epic lows that you might find yourself in. And we've been journeying through the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and today we're looking at the very last line. Here's what we've read so far, Matthew chapter 6, we'll have it up on the screens, says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And here we go, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, just a really quick recap. I just want to catch us up on where we're at. The first uh, several lines of the Lord's Prayer were all about us pledging our allegiance to the transcendent God the creator of everything, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It it is an opportunity for us to express a covenant loyalty that orders our whole life. It's calling to act, for God to act, so as to sanctify God's name and for God's will to be accomplished, to bring the kingdom of God into our reality. And even as we petition the Creator to reorder life on earth outside the walls of this church, uh, we're also committing ourselves to be instruments of that very work of God. We pray for God to lead us with trust, with with the things that we require, our very daily bread. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. To cultivate a hunger and truth for righteousness. We are ambassadors of grace and forgiveness. We talked about this last week because why? We've been forgiven much. The Lord's Prayer, friends, it is a pledge of allegiance, the pledge of allegiance. I pledge allegiance to no other kingdom. Current kingdom that I stand presently included. The Lord's Prayer is God's pledge of allegiance to us. That God is for you. God is not against you. My professor uh, at Lipscomb University said that. This is my pledge of allegiance. And he prays it three times a day. So we're going to get into this last line of of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's the question. What is temptation? Because you could look at different Bibles again, and you could see different lines, different translations, different ways that this is uh, uh, unpacked in different Bibles. Uh, The word used in both Matthew and Luke's prayer is the same word in Greek. Uh, The Greek word is parismos which means temptation, deliver us from temptation. But it could also mean testing or trials in the original Greek. Could be the temptation to do wrong. It could be the testing for approval. 
Those are two vastly different things, aren't they? When I first was reading this, and I looked at the words in both Luke and, and Matthew's uh, Lord's Prayer, first word that came to my mind when I'm thinking temptation is from the book of James. James chapter 1 says in verse 1, uh, excuse me, James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, this is what I think about when I think about the Lord's Prayer. Blessed is he who, uh, excuse me, where was I at? I got to pick it up. I got to read it. (laughs) Uh, Let no one say when he is tempted, verse 13, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So lead us not into temptation. This is the way I kind of uh, perceive this word to be used. But each person, verse 14, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Every one of those highlighted words there is the same Greek word that Matthew and Luke use in the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. But then... If you just scroll up in your Bible app, just a few verses, uh, James 1, uh, verses 2 and 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, again, here it is highlighted in yellow, trials. That's the same Greek word that we just read in James 1, 12 through 14. The same word that we just read in Matthew's gospel that we translate, uh, lead us not into temptation. It's the same word. So it seems like this is something important for us to wrestle with because if you're like me, I can think it just one way and just say, all right, I'm just going to account that Jesus is working in this one little section. It seems like there's a goodness, though, to the trials that God allows. Would, would we agree with that? Even the trials that God brings into our lives. And if we're not careful, we could run the risk of asking God to not do what God is intended to do in our lives. We're asking God not to lead us into testing, into trials, which James says, consider it pure joy, because I'm afraid that everything's going to turn into temptation. But we see again, time and again in Scripture, that this is part of what God is doing in the working in our lives. So, so I want to take some time and unpack this um, to get to the heart of Jesus' petition here at the end of the Lord's Prayer. And I think it would be wise to look at temptation itself, not just the word that we're looking at, this Greek word, uh, perasmos, uh, but to really look at what does it mean, the experience of temptation as revealed in scriptures. Because I think that we could agree that trials are good. James says it very clearly, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What about temptation? I, I want to just un- understand it myself a little bit better so that I can know how, how this prayer affects my life. I want to start just by looking at two temptations, um, really, that start both the Old and the New Testament. If we contrast the two temptations that we see in Genesis chapter 1 through 3 and Matthew chapter 1 through 4, you realize both the Old and the New Testament actually start in very similar ways. I've got this chart I put together. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, it's the account of God's good creation. Open your Bible to page 1 and it says, In the beginning God created, and what? It was good. And you can read through the list that God created, and it was good. Matthew chapter 1 talks all about God's good son who has come to dwell with us. 
We read as we continue in the creation account in Genesis chapter 2 that there's physical death for those who choose life outside of God's design. God created Adam and Eve, man and woman. It was very good. And he said, there's this one thing that I don't want you to do. This is the one parameter. And Adam and Eve chose to live outside of God's design. We read in Matthew chapter 3 that John the Baptist was preaching about death to those who choose life outside of God's design. That's why he stood out a voice in the wilderness saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Adam and Eve were tempted. Genesis chapter 3 we read about. Before Jesus uh, embarked on the ministry and the path set before him, Matthew chapter 4, as he was baptized, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted three times, in fact. We read about Adam and Eve succumbing to temptation, eating the fruit, the, thing, the one thing that the Lord had said, the Creator had said, this is the one thing, don't do this. Adam and Eve succumbed to that. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus overcame temptation. So even in the first pages of Scripture, we see that there's a pattern, and, in, and throughout Scripture, starting from page 1, in the account that we were just looking at, Genesis 1, 2, 3, and all the way through, we see this pattern again and again that is endemic to humanity. Our propensity to err when we're led into temptation, to give in to what is not God's best for us. Even while God has a better, more pleasing plan and purpose for our life, we naturally want to slide into those places of temptation. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. I see no better account of this than in Matthew chapter 26. I'll put it up on the screen and just kind of read through it. It says, Jesus went with them. Uh, this is after the Lord's Supper. Let me set the scene a little bit that the Jesus has uh, been preparing with his disciples for the Passover uh, and has actually, in fact, eaten and, and broken the bread. We, we celebrate Communion Sunday. He said, this is my body. He took the cup and said, this is, my, this, is, this is the blood of a new covenant, right? And Jesus took his disciples, and here we are in verse 36, Matthew 26, 36. Jesus went with them to this place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he's with uh, just a few of his disciples at this point. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So Jesus is telling these three disciples, hey, I want you to come with me. And I want you to listen. I, I, I need you right now. I need your moral support. I'm feeling pretty terrible right now. I need you. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell on his face. Jesus fell on his face saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's the same thing Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. Your will be done, not my will. Jesus, at this point, I'm, I'm honoring your will, Father. And this is even temptation. Is this remarkable to see in real time Jesus facing temptation? I don't want to do this. I am not looking forward to this. Please, any, anything, but not succumbing, not my will be done. Jesus overcomes. Verse 40, he came to the disciples, found them sleeping. He said, Peter, you couldn't even wa watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
This is like my life verse. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I should have that bumper sticker on my car. I should have it uh, crocheted on, on cushions in my house. I have it plastered on my refrigerator. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is hurt here that the disciples couldn't manage to remain a support in this moment of need. And instead, they took a little nap. And this time, he tells them to pray against falling into temptation. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. As the temptation continues, so does Jesus surrender to the Heavenly Father. And then he came again, it says, back to his disciples and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. I imagine that the, the disciples probably did try. I imagine that they did put up a valiant effort. They probably had some really powerful, just a few moments of praying, just powerful prayers as they started to nod off, succumbing to the very temptation that Jesus warned them to pray against. So Jesus came to his disciples and said, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. There's a snapshot of even... I would consider the A-team, Jesus' disciples are probably the starting lineup. Those are the varsity players when it comes to Christian faith. And even they can't stick around for an hour and do the one thing that Jesus was asking them to do. Every, even after three years, could you imagine? I think about this sometimes when I look at the pictures, uh, the, the narratives and the accounts of Jesus uh, interacting with his disciples. And, and, I, and I kind of give myself a little bit of a break because here, even after three years, they still don't get it. How great do you think your faith would be if you spent three years literally walking with, talking with, eating with, resting with Jesus? Not only that, like they, they've been hearing the, the podcast as they're being recorded, right? They're getting from, anybody talk to somebody who's, at, who, who's like made some pilgrimage and like, dude, I was at Andy Stanley's church. It was so great. Or somebody who remembers, I was at a Billy Graham rally. It was life-changing, Obviously very powerful, but these disciples, Trump even, they spent three years with Jesus. They walked and talked. Not only that, guess what it says? They did the healing. They did the miraculous. They didn't just watch it take place. They experienced the power that Jesus was imparting, and they were walking with Jesus for three years, and they still didn't get it. They still didn't figure out. They still weren't able to track with and stay out of temptation that Jesus himself was saying, stay awake and pray with me against. What a perfect account, not just of uh, humanity's attempt to overcome, but rather it's a good picture of our inability to secure our own future through obedience on our own. Right? They, they gave it the old college try. The disciples' failure in Jesus' moment of need illustrates how deeply they needed Jesus to resist temptation in the garden. And over and over and over again, Scripture illustrates the failure of humanity when faced with our own temptation. And it looks all sorts of different ways. You can just go right through all of the Bible stories, all of the men and women of faith, and you could see the temptations that they faced. 
and again and again, they didn't measure up. And over and over, you and I reveal our own inability to secure the future that God has for us on our own, through our own obedience. And yet there is one who, in face, facing every temptation, was able to overcome. So whether you want to call it temptations, whether it's easier for us to, to process that if we call it, call it trials or testing, every single day of our lives, our need for Jesus is revealed. Every day we face the reality that we cannot adequately do what Jesus taught us to do when he said, hallowed be your name. We cannot make the Lord's name holy on our own. We can give it a good shot. Every day we are, we are tempted to establish and to build our own kingdom. As much as we love to proclaim the kingdom of God, as much as we love to do that, as long as you've been a follower of Jesus, there's a part of you that will intrinsically want to establish or build your own kingdom. Every day we face the trial of trusting God with our needs. Am I going to try and figure this out on my own? Am I going to white knuckle it until I can get to payday? Am I going to just kind of hold on and keep quiet? Or am I going to trust the Lord for my daily bread? Every day we face the test. Are we going to forgive? And every single day, guess what? We're not going to measure up. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're reminded of our need for the one who has already won victory over temptation, Jesus. We're reminded of our own inability to secure a future through our own obedience. We're reminded that we need a Savior. We're reminded in Christ, not just that, but that we are now more than conquerors. And that is good news. Our salvation has been secured through Jesus' victory over temptation, not my own valiant efforts. At the start of Jesus' ministry, when he was led into the wilderness, and at the completion of his ministry, when he was in the garden in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus stared temptation down. Jesus stared the enemy of our souls down and made a way that you and I could experience peace as we make our prayer lead us not into temptation. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, look at this, therefore as one trespass led to con condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, we're talking about Adam, we're, again, we're going back to Genesis and Matthew, we're contrasting Adam and Eve, or excuse me, Adam and Jesus. Adam was kind of seen as the archetype, the original human, and then we see the full fulfillment and the completion in the person of Jesus Christ. So, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, Adam, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. Lead us not into temptation and failure like Adam, but let us stand in the victory and the life of Christ, Paul is saying. Let's just take the last bit of our time together and talk now. We've talked about the victory in Jesus Christ. We've talked about that. We've maybe hopefully had a better understanding of, of the, the fullness of this. It's temptation. It's trial. It's testing. It's all of the above. Fill in the blank. All of those places are places where we need to trust Jesus with. Let's just finish by talking about the danger of temptation so that we understand a little bit. Thomas Van, uh, Von Hegel, who is a, a, a theologian and author, said this, temptation does one of two things. It either leads to ultimate despair and death or to deliverance in the Savior and life. 
And just as we compared the temptations of Adam and Eve to the temptations of Jesus, the beginning of the New and Old Testament, I want to compare the, uh, the, the temptations faced by two of Jesus' disciples. I want to look at the way Peter was tempted and Judas was tempted. If you're familiar with the gospel account, Judas was tempted to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Scripture says. Peter was tempted to betray Jesus three times just to deny knowing Jesus. Both of them betrayed their Savior, so we're comparing and contrasting. There's some similarities. Peter for his own security, Jesus, uh, Judas for his own profit. They both fell into temptation, both of them, because they're human beings. But look what Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Not many of us knew that Peter had a gluten issue. <laughs> demanded that he would sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that interesting? The enemy demanded that he might sift you like wheat, might treat you like Job, might treat you like any other human being, drag you through the dirt, through temptations and trials and testing. But I've prayed for you that your faith might not fail when you've turned again. Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Is Peter's faith equated with P Peter's strength to sand? His own strength, is that what equals his ability to stand when it comes to temptation? No. In fact, Peter tried to convince Jesus that that was what he was doing. He's like, I know I'm ready. I got my game face on. I'm ready to go. Prison, jail, death, you name it. In fact, I'm going to take a little nap later and I'll, I'll be good to go, Jesus. Right? But Jesus assumes Peter's weakness and prays that even in his failure, that his faith wouldn't fail. Isn't that a fascinating thing? Isn't that a powerful thing? Even knowing, no, 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 Peter, don't worry. I know, I know. Remember who I am? I know what's going to happen. And even when this takes place, my prayer is that your faith might not fail. And not only that, Peter, I know what's going to happen. You're going to betray me three times, but... My prayer is your faith would stand through all of that. And would you strengthen others as you walk through your own weakness? Is that shocking? We could spend a lot of time just sitting with it. That is a crazy profound thing that Jesus says to Peter. So Peter's journey doesn't circumnavigate, does not avoid, does not dodge and weave temptation. But by God's grace, Peter is led through temptation right back to Jesus. You see this in John's gospel. After Jesus, in obedience to the Father, went to the cross, dying on the cross in exchange for our sins, and through the power of the Holy Spirit was resurrected, we, we saw Peter succumb to his temptations in this time. And we see this afterwards that, that Peter was with his friends. Uh, they, they didn't know what to do. Like, I guess we're going to go fishing again? I don't know. 
They're out fishing, and John's Gospel records that they see Jesus walking on the beach. And Peter, the one who fell three times to temptation, didn't wait to, find, to get the boat docked, didn't wait to tie up to anger. He jumps in and swims. He's like, i got to get to Jesus. He's getting to Jesus as fast as he can. And Peter is restored. Now, let's take that and juxtapose it with Judas. Both succumbed to their temptation. Both of them were tempted and acted for their own best interests. Judas, like Peter, gives in to the devil and into temptation. Judas betrayed the Christ. And just like Peter, Judas is filled with sorrow over his failure. Of course, oh, could you imagine? Judas was led into temptation by the devil just like Peter. But unlike Peter, Judas stayed there. Matthew 27 talks about it. Then uh, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. Do you remember that word from back? I've missed the mark by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is it to us? See to it yourself. Fix yourself, Judas. It says, and throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he went and he hanged himself overwhelmed in his lowest point of despair in this place where he could not muster up faith says Judas took his own life rather than trusting Jesus. Again, the same author I was quoting earlier, Thomas von Hegel says, after Judas succumbed to the temptations of Satan and betrayed the Lord, he repented to the chief priests and elders. Check this out. When they did not point him to Jesus, Judas committed suicide. In contrast, when Brought to Jesus, the hungry were fed, the sick were healed, the dead were raised, sinners like Peter were forgiven. Wow. Judas went to try and figure out repentance, but he went the wrong way. He went not to Jesus. He says that he went to the chief priests and elders, and of course they didn't point Judas to Jesus. They've just been trying their hardest to put Jesus to death. But how often am I guilty of the very same thing? So often my own answers to my trials, my temptations, my testings, going to look for the right answer in the wrong places. I better just try harder. Maybe if I just sin less. Anybody ever try and convince yourself that that's a viable option? I mean, just overcome. It doesn't work. The answer exclusively is Jesus. Jesus teaches us to pray when we are led into temptation. Jesus calls us out of the temptation when we've fallen. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ alone and the power that we receive that we can be rescued from ourselves and from the enemy, who, as Peter would go on to say, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I'm sure he was intimately familiar with that feeling. And my temptation for a sermon about temptations, is to figure out a whole bunch of tips just like that. Hey, just sin less. Overcome temptation. You got it. Hey, when you're tempted, you've got these great masks. If you're tempted, just kind of pull it up on your face. You don't even have to see anything. That's perfect. Just don't look. When you're attempted to make an unwise purchase with your friend, just reach it. I've got a whole laundry list. Buy a chastity belt. I've got a ton of answers for you. 
But I think that the beauty of the Lord's Prayer isn't that that's what Jesus does here. Jesus teaches us to pray because without prayer, our lives that are saturated with the trials and temptations of the reality around us would become utterly hopeless. Just try harder. That's not going to cut it. Jesus teaches us to cry out to the Father who hears our prayers and moves on our behalf. He doesn't lead us into temptation. That's what we just read in James 1 at the start. But leads us over and through it. Soren Kierkegaard once said that the opposite of sin isn't virtue, but faith. Our salvation isn't rooted in our own victory, in our own virtue, but in Christ alone. And Bonhoeffer, I think his quote here, yeah, you can put that back up, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great German theologian, uh, led uh, a movement called the Confessing Church. Actually, as we talk about temptation and the way that we can overcome said either the Adam in us is tempted, in which case we fail, or the Christ in us is tempted, in which case Satan is bound to fail. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're not looking for our own strength, but to Jesus. In our strength, really, in Adam, we will fall every time. But in Christ, we have already overcome. We are delivered from evil and temptation, Jesus. In him, there is no condemnation, Scripture continues. You see the promises throughout Scripture. In him, we are called the righteousness. In him, we know that God will never lead us somewhere and that, that Jesus' love will not sustain us. In him, sin, death, and the devil have been defeated. In Jesus, our future is secured. And I... I just want to finish with this. Uh, I found one of the greatest pictures of this theologically in uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is the book that we give all of the, the children when they get dedicated here. We'll just pray a blessing on them. The, the, this is the Storybook Bible that my kids grew up reading. Um, it's, it's, I love it. The art is cool. But I just want to read the, the way uh, the Storybook Bible translates this last line of the Lord's Prayer. I've got it here. You can put the picture up so people can see how cool it is. It says this, Rescue us. We need you. We don't want to keep running away and hiding from you. How simple is that? I don't want to keep hiding. I don't want to keep running away. I don't want to keep doing it on my own. Lead us not into temptation, says I get to trust the Lord. And be led through those difficulties back to Jesus. I wonder if we could just uh, uh, take a moment and respond in prayer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read this whole thing. Ken, if you would come up and just uh, play lightly. I just want to assume a posture of prayer, each one of you. And I'm going to read this. Um, the childlike faith. I love the way the Lord's Prayer is expressed here. Well, could we just let these words kind of sit in our heart and our mind and then we'll, we'll respond hello daddy we want to know you and be close to you please show us how make everything in our world right again and in our hearts too do what is best just like you do in heaven and please do it down here too Please give us everything we need today. Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you. Forgive us as we forgive other people when they hurt us. Rescue us. We need you.
we don't want to keep running away and hiding from you. Keep us safe from our enemies. You're strong, God. You can do whatever you want. You are in charge, now and forever and for always. We think you're great. You know, over the course of these weeks, we've unpacked Greek and Hebrew. We, we, we've looked at, at, at narrative accounts. We've seen the fingerprints of God throughout Scripture and applied to our own lives. As we listen to the Master, as we listen to Jesus, who teaches us to pray and allows the kingdom of God to take root in our own hearts. And I just wanted to take a moment as we, as we finish this series, as we finish this last line, lead us not into temptation. Just to trust the Lord, even as we've been doing all morning. This isn't a time to say, to, to, to double down and say, Jesus, I'm going to try harder this week. Jesus, I'm going to trust you in my weakness. I'm going to trust you where I know I don't measure up. I'm going to trust you with my shortcomings. And I'm so thankful that yes, you absolutely have a high standard of living. We read throughout scripture what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. It's a high standard of living, but you have grace upon grace and you don't measure up. Lord, will we trust you in our weakness? Will we trust you in our temptations and our trials and our testing? And through that, would you be made holy in our lives? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your great love. We worship you and we praise you. And we ask all of this in your name. And together we say amen. Amen. Would you stand as we conclude our time? What a joy. You know, I'm, I'm always so grateful just to spend time together. So thank you for being here. Thanks for being with us online. Thanks for worshiping Jesus and letting God do what only God can do in our lives. I love each one of you. Um, some of you I, I, I have yet to meet in person, but I want you to know I love you. I'm glad you're here. But Jesus loves you more than we can imagine. Have a wonderful Sunday. You're dismissed. God bless you.